Welcome to another episode of 100 Days in Mexico. This is the story of how a 100-day road trip, surfing my way down the Pacific coast of Mexico, changed my life forever. Ready to go on a road trip? Strap in, let's do this. Episode 31, Dangerous Men. Previously, from episode 30, day 65. A huge storm the day before had washed rocks down the steep mountain, rocks that now filled the already narrow shoulder to my right. My headlights swept around a curve to reveal that the road was completely gone in front of me, washed out, leaving in its place a gaping hole and a 60-foot drop down the sheer side of a cliff. "'You are going to kill us, Mommy!' Diego shouted at me. "'Let me drive!' "'Fine!' I caved in, wanting to trust him." I pulled over at the next turnout and we switched seats. He adjusted the mirrors and the seat and we buckled up as he slowly pulled out. Diego maintained a death grip on the wheel, hands at two and ten o'clock, as we proceeded very slowly and in complete silence. He was driving well under the speed limit and it seemed like he was swerving slightly, but I was so tired. I considered that maybe I was just imagining things. A two-ton truck behind us started to tailgate, flashing his lights, but Diego continued to drive exquisitely slow. The truck honked, prompting from Diego, Why are they going to be in such a hurry to die? I got my baby in the car. I don't have a hurry. I wanted to mention that sometimes it can be more dangerous to drive too slow, and that we were hardly moving, but I kept my mouth shut. The truck found a break in the curves and passed us on a straightaway. It was going on 1 a.m. and I hadn't really slept at all the night before. I closed my eyes and tried to sleep, ignoring his bad driving, convincing myself that everything would be fine. Another truck, this one a semi-truck, Towing a huge load, became annoyed with our slow progress along the treacherous road and began to tailgate. The rumble from the diesel engine woke me when the truck downshifted and punched the gas. The driver was about to pass us, going uphill, around a curve. I sat up in my seat just in time to spot a pile of dirt and rocks spilling into our lane from where it entirely covered the shoulder. The truck was neck and neck with us on the road so narrow that two compact cars would have had a hard time driving side by side. As the truck passed, Diego swerved to avoid the rocks, edging just slightly to the left. The awful sound of smashing metal still rings in my ears. The front driver's side quarter panel of my Honda SUV crumpled like Play-Doh, no match for the semi-truck. The back of my Honda fishtailed to the left. I had a clear view of the front end of my beloved truck heading straight for the mountain to the right. Diego gripped the wheel and corrected. I screamed as the passenger side mirror smashed into the, the mountain, sparing the rest of the truck by just inches. The semi-truck continued on its merry little way. We pulled over as soon as we were able and switched seats. 
Diego was happy to give over the wheel, but wasn't about to surrender control. He began a tirade about how the driver had tried to kill us, had tried to kill me, the person that he loved. Diego was furious with the driver for swerving into our lane, endangering me. I mentioned to Diego himself that he had kind of, sort of, maybe swerved a little bit too, but Diego reminded me that I had been sleeping and I hadn't seen it, so how would I know? I agreed and shut up. He insisted we find a 24-hour liquor store so he could get a shot of mezcal to calm his nerves. There was way too much Al-Anon going on in my head at that moment for me to agree to that request. So, just as Diego liked to do, I simply did not respond, even after the fourth demand. Diego stayed with me for the next several days. Although I refused to buy him alcohol, he was more or less drunk the entire time. But he never had money when it came mealtime. I felt so badly when he would tell me he was hungry. What was I supposed to do? Let him starve? Principles from Elanon resounded in my mind as loudly as the crunching metal of my truck. Each time I got in my car, I had to forcefully yank the door open because the collision had jammed it. It opened with the worst nails on a chalkboard sound you have ever heard. But all I could hear was the Elanon detachment flyer. Our role is not to prevent a crisis if it is in the natural course of events. What I didn't know is just how rapidly the crisis would present itself. Day 79. New bad boy, same bad story. A few days later, Diego was to give an afternoon surf lesson and announced that he was going to treat me to dinner with his earnings. Evening approached and I made my preparations. I shaved my legs, found a dress tucked into the bottom of a backpack somewhere, and even dug around in my toiletry bag for lip gloss and eyeliner. My face hadn't seen makeup in a month. I took my time getting ready, waiting for him to come home. It got dark. The lesson would definitely have over, been over by then. So I texted him. No response. I called him. No answer. I was getting hungry, so I made a snack. An hour later, I made another snack. After a further hour of waiting, I put on my PJs and started a movie on my laptop. So much for date night. I fell asleep alone. T minus 16 months. It had been six weeks since Kurt had relapsed for the first time in almost seven years. Maybe his relapse was just a slip and it would be a thing of the past. Two weeks before his relapse, when Kurt said I was too fat for him to be sexually attracted to me, I had asserted that if he didn't start treating me with respect, I would leave. Then, when he relapsed, I reluctantly gave him 30 more days to prove it was just a slip. If it was more than a slip, I would leave, just as he had told me to do when we were dating. If I ever relapse, promise you will leave me. It won't be quick and it won't be easy. Six weeks after the relapse, I was still with him. He appeared to be clean, but he also hadn't changed. He was aggressive, blaming me for not appreciating him when he financially supported me, 
giving me the opportunity to pursue my dreams. He wasn't interested in sex, or working more than half a day, or conversation, unless it was to pass judgment on his friends, claiming his program of recovery was way better than theirs. He wasn't interested in getting off the couch, for that matter. I would later find out that he had been lying to me about his sobriety for those six weeks, but I was still new at living with an active addict, so I didn't catch it. I was surprised when I came home to a dark house one evening. After a late night at the yoga studio, I felt a little relief that I didn't have to walk in and walk on eggshells while I prepared my dinner. And a little more relief that I wouldn't have to ignore the TV while I ate while Kurt ignored me watching his shows. After I showered, eaten, and cleaned up dinner, I was ready for bed, but he still wasn't home. I texted him a message. Hey, did you go to a meeting or something? No response. My first thoughts shot up from the worst place, but I reined them in. I grabbed a bowl of ice cream since he wasn't there to judge me for eating it when he already thought I was a fatty. For a few moments, I drowned my anxiety in cold, sweet cream. After another hour, I decided to call straight to voicemail. I grabbed my laptop and typed in, find my iPhone. Heart pounding, I entered Kurt's iTunes password, which I had memorized. The system was unable to locate the phone. It had been turned off or a dead battery. I sent one more text. Please, if you get this, can you please just let me know you are okay? Come home whenever, but please just let me know you're alive. I love you. After 48 hours, he finally texted to let me know he felt miserable and he had been up for two days straight. Ditto, I texted back. Back in my Mexican apartment. I had been sleeping for several hours when I awoke to the pounding on the door. I flipped on the lights and opened the door to face a strange man. The man was worked up, speaking quickly, and I couldn't understand all that he was telling me. Asking him to slow down, I was able to make out the words Diego and jail and money. My Elanon programming kicked in full blast, and I absolutely refused. No way in hell was I going to bail Diego's little ass out of jail. The man explained to me that Diego had told him where some money was stashed and asked me to retrieve it. I went looking. Sure enough. I found six American $20 bills, enough money to buy food for three weeks for both of us. You little bastard, I thought as I handed over the money. The strange man left, and I went back to sleep. But my night wasn't over. A couple of hours later, I awoke again, this time to hear Diego fumbling with the lock. I got up and let him in. He looked like hell and smelled worse. When I demanded an explanation, he started crying. He caved and admitted to me that he was employed as a personal bodyguard to a member of the Mexican cartel. They had been drinking together that afternoon, and from what I could understand, they had crashed their car into a liquor store while driving drunk. The police were nearby at the time of the incident, and when they tried to arrest the man whom Diego was sworn to protect, Diego did his job. He disarmed the nearest cop, gained control of the cop's assault rifle, 
and, with the weapon, pointed at the cop's head, he ordered the rest of the officers to drop their weapons and get on the ground. The scuffle continued for several minutes until the National Guard showed up, and Diego was forced to surrender. Both Diego and his protectee went to jail, and were released hours later with a 60 U.S. dollar fine. Friends in high places. I said nothing while he told his story, my mind replaying images from Mexican movies we had watched together about cartel girlfriends getting kidnapped and held for ransom. Part of me still wondered if Diego had made it up, trying to sound more important than he was. I wasn't really in danger, was I? I remembered the look on one kind Al-Anon woman's face when she told me, Be sure you leave him when he's not home. I had brushed her warning off. As soon as I could tell he was passed out, I packed my things in the dark. By 6 a.m., my truck was loaded, and I was on the way to find a new place to call home. But something was different. I wasn't scared. I wasn't even mad. I was laughing. The voice told me that I was a total idiot and making all of the same mistakes all over again. Yep, I was. This shit is too funny. Oh well. I turned up my tunes and drove into the sunrise to find a fresh new start. I had no idea that I would soon be actively searching for even more dangerous situations. I hope you liked this episode. I have a lot more content on my website, 100daysinmexico.com. There's an insider section where I post, along with every episode, an insider's behind-the-scenes look at what else was going on. I also post premium content about my current travels, what's going on in my life right now. A lot of it's pretty honest, raw, and real. It's about the cost of a cup of coffee per month. So if you like my content, I hope you'll check it out. Until next time. Thank you.